Andrew, is it alright if I uh, just hear you talk real quick? Yeah, absolutely. Um, the weather is nice here. Sunny <laughs> outside. Dan just took the dog for a walk. It's, it's a great Wait, day. you guys have a dog? Yeah. His name's Barky. <laughs> <laughs> did you not hear about this? No, I did not. You got to tell me this. Head with a creek turn, shallow and sandy. And the moon comes skimming away to the stars. When comes over Good afternoon, and I'm Seamus O'Hara. I'm Graham Lorden, and with us today is Andrew Strauss, uh, my roommate and co-worker and boss and a lot of other things, a CEO. Uh, Andrew and I met in the DDR internship uh, in the class of 2017. Uh, after graduating, we both worked for the University in Development and Alumni Relations, and um, we started working on uh, Find It You, uh, Andrew's company that he started in, when was that? 2017, uh, yeah, 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 17, um, and which is now uh, Benia, uh, the startup that uh, Andrew uh, runs and I work for as well, as well as a few of our roommates and a few friends at the pod, so thanks for being here, Andrew. Yeah, thanks for having me. Yeah, this is our 66th podcast. We just, My goodness. We were, we were just astounded. The, the gang is back together. It's been a while, but um, uh, we're coming together for the 66th installment of 304's podcast, uh, and we are talking to Andrew, who Dan has already introduced, and we're going to talk to him about starting a business in the college town that you went to college in, staying in a small college town and starting a business, get a sense of what that's all about. So with that, let's say hello to Andrew. Andrew, hello. Hey guys, thanks for having me today. I really appreciate it. Yeah, no, we, we appreciate you taking time out of your very busy startup schedule to come on and talk to us. Hey, anytime. It's a Sunday, so we're uh, wrapping up the seventh work day of the week. And... <laughs> <laughs> Hour 140, so it's okay. Yeah, you know, I don't know, maybe we can, uh, no, we won't start with that question, but I do want to like get into like the, just the workload of a startup versus conventional work, because Dan, you have experience with both, and so you can definitely speak to that. Um Let's see. I guess maybe we could just start with a basic one of like when you were going to Penn State, Andrew, did you ever like have it in your mind that you're going to stay at Penn State or maybe go to another small college town and start a business or that just wasn't even on your radar? Yeah, so uh, going into senior year, I actually worked for Smeal for a little bit mm -hmm. um, in the Division of Development Alumni Relations. Um, I knew I was going to stay here after graduation, but I think it was still a little bit of a different decision of, um, making the, the idea of staying here long-term. Mm -hmm. So I knew I was going to be here for a couple of years, but I don't mm -hmm. think I was necessarily set on staying here for a long period of time. Mm -hmm. Uh, I definitely think like getting away for a couple different years, going to a city is, um, necessary even if you do come back and kind of stay in town. Okay. Um, were, did you just know you were going to stay at Penn State, or did you know you were going to stay at Penn State to start a business? Yeah, so that's a good question. I, going into senior year, basically I accepted a job at Penn State before I knew I was going to go full-time with Venia. Mm -hmm. The original plan was basically to start working at Penn State, save up some money, mm -hmm. and then two or three years down the line, maybe go full-time with it. And I got lucky enough that I was in a class with somebody who wanted to invest in the company and kind of kick things off. So it just accelerated a little bit faster than that. Uh, do, you, do you want to expand on that? You were in a class with someone that wanted to invest in the company. What, what, what does that mean? They, they were 
an authority figure at Penn State that like had the capital to invest in you, or are you talking about something else? Uh, a little bit of something else. So I was taking a four hundred level social class, okay. um, a sociology minor. It was mm-hmm. sociology and education. There was an individual there for the education piece, and he was going for his master's. He's okay. a local high school teacher, Chris Warren. Mm-hmm. And Chris and I kind of disagreed on pretty much everything that we talked about. <laughs> um, he's very conservative and kind of liberal, but we did in a really respectful way that at the end of every class, we just kind of shake hands and we would talk about things on a mutual level of respect. So when I was telling him about the idea, spring of senior year, he kind of said, how much money would you need to start something like that and kind of get going? And I told him and we just uh, wrote a partnership agreement and why not? Wow, okay. So that actually kind of goes into my next question, which is, before starting Beamia, did you have any community connections, I guess, beyond Chris? Or was that something that you had to start forming once you were trying to get this startup off the ground? Yeah, so I would say, like most other Penn State students, most of my involvement was on campus. Mm -hmm. I did know a couple small business owners just from going to certain... um, establishments more often than others the first yeah (laughs) uh we had the first at champs all the time uh kind of getting to know them we definitely knew a couple other student bartenders and bouncers and then rapid transit terry down there Mm -hmm. in class he was really good with just helping students figure out what kind of writing shoes you want write apparel on top of that, I would just say, like, any small businesses that I would go to pretty frequently, mm-hmm. but nothing that was out of the ordinary that a regular student wouldn't run into in their four years. Okay, so now, Dan, I'd like you to come in as well and talk about this. Like, what, what was it like forming connections with the community? Because, well, I guess maybe we should get back to that after we answer a more general question for the audience, which is, what is BMIA? What is the goal? What's it trying to accomplish in the state college community? Yeah, so BMI is a platform for students to find information in their college towns. Basically, I realized that there's a need for students to find apartments, bars, events, all those things that are going on off campus, mm-hmm. and provide one information hub that students can kind of just check on and see what's going on around them so they can get involved in different things, go to new events, meet different friends, and make the campus seem a little less small. Mm-hmm. And we're also working with business owners because they don't really have a conventional way of getting in touch with students nowadays. Mm -hmm. So having one platform where if I'm looking for an apartment, apartment companies can sponsor specifically to me instead of going on Instagram and putting out 100,000 different posts that only 10,000 students actually see when need apartments. Okay. So, okay, I want to ask another question now, which is like, was there any existing infrastructure or were you guys the first to market there? Like Nowadays, a lot of marketing teams have social media components where they market through social media. Was that all kind of run through individual companies at Penn State, or was there an infrastructure similar to Beamia that was trying to provide this service? So... There are a couple different similar concepts, but I don't think we... I would say we were first to market in packaging these things together specifically mm-hmm. for students. There are a couple companies that solve the specific needs like you were alluding to before, but having all of those together and saying this is really primarily for students to find information about their local communities, I would say we're first to market in that category. 
Okay, and so now back to the original question, Dan. Because mm-hmm. um, I believe this is something you in particular are working on, with like forming the relationships with the mm-hmm. small business community. I mean, how is that at the beginning? Yeah, it's been. Uh, I mean, State College is a nice town. There's a lot of good people, and people are very receptive to I uh, uh, meeting with students. I think one thing that we've run into has been. Um, a lot of students have tried a lot of things mm-hmm. in this town, so there's a little bit of a, uh, you know, uh, skepticism. Skepticism, yeah, that's yeah, a good word um, for a group of people who are trying to do, you know, is are we coming in to just be a bar app, or are we coming in to just be an apartment app kind of mm-hmm. thing? You know, plenty of people have tried and left the area, um, but by the time they were a second semester senior, they're already done and on to something else, and mm-hmm. so there's there's some some skepticism towards you know, actual work behind it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we've had to kind of show, you know, this isn't a half-hearted effort, you know, as part of a senior project. This is a uh, a real company that, you know, we have real employees and we have a real product that we're trying to bring to market mm-hmm. right now. Um, and we've found that people have been pretty receptive to that. Uh, we're hoping that as we grow more in our user base, um, then we'll be able, those connections will be a little bit easier. But we have had a few great companies, like Viro, um, who've been, uh, that's our apartment company, who've been really receptive to working with us um, mm-hmm. and helping us out as we get off the ground. Yeah, so, okay. So a, a company like Viro, they're, they're not really on the beaten path of a Penn State student. Like, what are the big uh, apartment units? Uh, NPM, GN. Yeah, and they, like, know. have lines out the door. They only have one day where they give out leases because there, there's yeah. a demand to live right downtown. So mm-hmm. did you find that companies that were more off the beaten path and not known to students were more receptive? Like they saw an opportunity here and like, what was there a mixed reception? Yeah. So I would say so far, Viro is still a large apartment complex mm-hmm. and any of them that have more than a couple hundred tenants understand the value in getting that marketing out there. Mm-hmm. I would say some of the smaller or um, it really depends on the presence, right? So uh, Landmark is actually a company that's at a bunch of different college towns, but they only have three places in State College right now. Mm-hmm. Um, they see the value in this because they're such a large company, but also because they only have three apartment complexes, and it's not something like mm-hmm. uh, maybe the apartment store or RPM where they have so many of them that they can kind of market their own brand and just mm-hmm. have people search their apartments. I think at the same time, though, if they can be in different categories, it's beneficial pretty much for everybody to just get extra eyeballs mm-hmm. uh, from different segments. Yeah. Um, so having students that are just kind of looking it up online, they're going to go to a bunch of different apartment websites. So mm-hmm. being on all of them uh, can't really hurt not being on the 11th uh, site that you're on, you know? Okay. Okay. Um, so now I guess transitioning a bit back to like the state college community, but not in terms of your business. Like what is one underrated thing the state college community has given you? I guess that could be during your time as a student, and yeah, this is for both of you, during your time as a student, or you could also talk about while you've been trying to get this company going. Yeah, so I, I definitely want to put a plug in for the Small Business Development Center. We just met up with them a couple weeks ago, John Peterson there. They've been really okay. amazing for us as a company, so having that resource where they're a little bit more distant from Penn State, but still have all those connections and kind of give, can give you unbiased advice. They've been really helpful for us to figure out 
where we fall into everything. Okay. And I think playing into the student part of that question, State College being so isolated from other areas really gave us the ability to focus on our niche mm -hmm. of college towns that are really affected by students who um, make a majority of the sales in this town and figuring out how we can do that with an unbiased um, infrastructure of the community that you might have even being like remotely closer to a city like a school like Westchester mm -hmm. where the kids are going to different bars um, in Philly instead of just staying specifically in their location. Mm -hmm. I think the reason why so many people feel like Happy Valley is a special place and something that is um, almost like a vacation spot when you're coming here for a football weekend really is that it's secluded from a lot of other things and has the ability to just provide a different energy than I think other places have. Okay. And Dan? New. Yeah, I, uh, I wanted to add on two things. One, uh, we were we were lucky enough to get accepted in the Benjamin Franklin Technology Partners Texcelerator program. It's a Pennsylvania jobs creation program, and they have four of them around the uh, around Pennsylvania. Um, the Center County, what is it? Center County, and then East and North. Center County West and North is is uh, the one that we're in right now. Uh, it's a great program, great jobs creator program for Pennsylvania, and they're helping us out right now. Um, and also, I I do think that more people are starting to view this as an area in which you can. Um, you know, state, they want to grow State College back to be an innovative space, right? You have such a, you have 40,000 undergrads who are doing great things and you have a community that, you know, is, you're starting to try and recruit people to this community to build startups and, and be innovators. Um, Spud Marshall and Christian uh, at the Coast Base have been doing a great thing. Oh, they're, yeah. They're, they're building Three Dots downtown right now, which mm -hmm. is an innovative space. Um, we already are getting more music studios and more um, like collaborative spaces. Mm -hmm. I think the more of those come to this area, the more ideas are gonna are gonna be born out of it. Yeah, yeah, I mean, and th th this gets to the main point, which I guess I should have introduced in the beginning, not twelve minutes into the interview. But like <laughs> the first of all, we took a hiatus because there's really been no news going on, so there's like nothing for us to talk about for a couple months, and yeah. we we finally found an excuse to come back, which is. To like talk about, like college towns, like that are not in major urban areas, which like you would normally prescribe as like most hurt, or most left behind by economic development, like what they can do to hold on, to young graduates to help upstart the local economies, like which is what you guys are doing, um, and so I guess transitioning to that now, like we in your specific case. You just mentioned the Tech Accelerator um, yeah. program that you are a part of, which is a Pennsylvania state initiative. Mm -hmm. Are you are there, and are you looking out for any other government initiatives that help kickstart startups? Yeah, I mean, I, I'm looking right now at some local grants. We've we actually have, have uh, looked at some local grants recently. Um, I think that is one of the difficulties in being in an isolated town. Uh, you know, it's difficult here to have enough capital, uh, to find enough capital in the, in the, in the area, um, just because it is a small town. And then if you're competing at a federal level, you're also competing with Silicon Valley and San Fran and every other major city that has, that, that is a, uh, a tech startup. Uh, it's tough. The, the, ben, the, the Ben's program actually lost a lot of their funding recently um, from the Pennsylvania Senate. So if the Pennsylvania Senate is listening, we would appreciate if they would increase the funding to the Ben's because they're a great program. 
Um, or if and, any listeners that live in Pennsylvania would like to call the state Senate and tell them that they should uh, not cut. The, yeah, absolutely. We'd appreciate it. And they, and they would too. But I think I think uh, it's important that those programs still stay funded and stay active. Um, mm-hmm. It's the idea of, of uh, you know, the Bill Melinda Gates Foundation f- figuring things out versus just a um, – you know, the government, you have the free market figuring something out, right? You want to provide those pots of money in those different places to pursue ideas that aren't marketable right now or aren't, um, you know, necessarily won't get you the return in the next year, but could be could be worth it going forwards. Yeah, yeah. Just add on to that, too. Um, we've gotten so much support from the individuals that are within the Ben Franklin Technology Partners. Mm-hmm. I think that's been one of the big things to have an idea and not really confirm any of your assumptions or how you think it's going to do to have somebody who just genuinely wants to hear you out and support you. Um, we actually applied to that program two times. They're focused a little bit more on IP. So we finally got the uh, technical side of it to the point that they were looking for. Mm-hmm. But uh, Bob Dornich, both times that mm-hmm. it didn't, that we didn't get through to that last uh, round, um, he was super helpful with just saying like, hey, here's some performers you might want to check out. Here's mm-hmm. some books you might want to read. And I think those are also the relationships on top of uh, the question you just asked about the organizations and state funding, making sure you have those right people in the right place who yeah. can really provide support when people are at a very vulnerable stage with their idea, mm-hmm. uh, if they're going to move it forward. And that's how they really get to the point where they're creating jobs. Oh, t- totally. I mean, like those, those, I guess they'd be bureaucrats, but like the people that are part of that program, like they have the experiential knowledge to know what 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 makes startups likely to fail and like they can pass on information to help future startups so that's it's good that there's like some sort of collective institutional knowledge that entrepreneurs like yourself can benefit from yeah it's a, uh, i also want to I, I don't know how this is so far shay but it's we we also when we're talking about people in the area that support us and help us out we would be remiss to forget springfield's own matt rodon yeah <laughs> uh, who uh, you know works? Who's working for Reflection right now? I think a big thing, especially in a small town, for resources and resource sharing is looking. And and maybe he's a he's a future friend of the pod candidate. Um, yeah. Theory, but it's it's making sure that if you leave the area and after you've left the area, you're still connecting up and coming startups with the people they need to know in that area, mm-hmm. right? You know we, you know it's great for us to know that like it's great for us to Google funding in state college or, you know, free space to work in state college. But it's another thing for a startup to reach back and say, Hey, I, you know, I see you guys starting out. How can we help put you in contact with the people you need? And if you're looking for how a town becomes that hub, it requires that investment, not only from the, the people that are there, but the people that have been there and have left and reach back to those people and say, Hey, like, let's get you connected to the right people. Cause at the end of the day, a, a good connection is worth, you know, untold, uh, you know, it's not worth the money at the end of the day. It's worth what the uh, what that advice and, and who they can help you out with. Oh, totally. I mean, like, I, th- that, that's why you see like some communities just thrive better than others. I mean, especially early on Silicon Valley, everyone knew everyone and just mm-hmm. helped grow that entire culture. I guess I'll ask one question, which leads to another more general question. So the specific question is, how could small towns like State College make it easier for new businesses? to get off the ground besides maybe the simple answer of like more money to give to people. Mm -hmm. Like obviously like if you had more runway, it'd be easier to get off the ground. But like short of that, what else could they do 
Yeah, and there's honestly a lot of money in uh, startup environments right now. I guess it's more so like around the country, but I think one of the good hurdles that people have to go through is advocating for their products and getting good at the craft of selling the idea of their company. That's just a good challenge in general to check some of your assumptions and biases and get to a point where you're not wasting people's money before you're pushing forward with the idea. Mm-hmm. I think college towns really just have to have programs like Ben Franklin Technology Partners and uh, Happy Valley Launchbox, really just having those incubator programs that can help people take their idea and figure out how they would make a business out of it before they push too far forward. Mm-hmm. I think also attitude's a big thing for me. So if you're a mentor in some kind of startup environment, it should really be asking questions. And I think as long as you're provoking more thought from the entrepreneurs, mm-hmm. instead of trying to push them in a certain direction or have an agenda or um, make them feel like their idea is good or bad, really just giving them that guidance of, okay, what's the next step here? How are you looking to monetize this? Do you think this is a sustainable business model? And really asking some of those more tough questions that aren't, I think this is a bad idea or I think this is a good idea really okay. help the entrepreneur to take it a couple more steps, do a little bit more research and find out for themselves where the direction of their company is going. I think just having those people in place is really important and having the support from the local commerce, having the support from colleges specifically in those towns. So Penn State does a pretty good job of finding their student entrepreneurs and graduates and highlighting them and letting people know that's something they're proud of. Having programs like Invent Penn State is definitely good for these areas. I really just think supporting them as much as possible and getting the word out there, especially in the social media world that we live in right now, mm-hmm. just promoting it and making sure they're getting the right connections is really important. Okay. Um, I'm actually curious. So did besides highlighting people that are already entrepreneurial at Penn State, did Smeal do anything to prepare you for pitches like this? Like, I know it, in the science departments, like, we would do, like, the two-minute elevator pitches and poster presentations of research to get used to pitching our research ideas to as many audiences as possible. Was that something, that, a, a similar practice in the business department or the business college? Yeah, so I think they do a really good job, good job of doing that in a less conventional or maybe obvious way. Mm-hmm. A lot of our classes are based off presentations at the end. Mm-hmm. So without really saying you're doing a five-minute pitch, mm-hmm. a lot of times you need to advocate for an entire project that took you an entire semester mm-hmm. by doing that in two to five minutes. And that really gives you the ability to do a lot of work that you might have had a 20 or 25-page paper. You have to summarize that in two minutes and what do you leave out, what do you put in, how do you make sure that you're speaking to the subject without rambling on certain sentences. Mm-hmm. I think Smeal does a really good job of just having a lot of final presentations instead of uh, final tests or final projects that don't really mm-hmm. translate to that specific skill set. Um, I was a management information systems major, so they actually just uh, started a entrepreneurship major there. Um, it's corporate innovation and entrepreneurship, which is really important too, because I think some of those skill sets are good for large businesses Spiel definitely does a good job of having those um, soft skills and experiences to set you up to advocate for whatever you're doing. Mm -hmm. And I think also to be intentional about what you're doing with your product. Is it sustainable? 
do you have a why behind that? And are you passionate about what you're doing? I think the college is definitely leading in those areas. So I would definitely say they prepared me um, in that respect. Dan, did your poli-sci biology background prepare you for this? So, you know, it's, uh, <laughs> obviously. No, no, no. I, I mean, I, I think that uh, to the College of Liberal Arts credit, you know, a lot of their work is, is in providing well-rounded students or creating well-rounded students that can actually um, orate what they mean to and, you know, put out into the world what they want to create. Uh, and the College of Science obviously gave me a technical background that I needed to get my, my first job. Um, which was in data science, which led me to my new job, which is also in data science. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that combination, you know, was great. And actually, if I'm going to put plugs out there for educational things that ended up helping me, um, having to write a thesis and produce an actual quantitative work with statistics uh, and be able to speak on it is probably the only reason I got my actual my first job, um, because there's no way they would have given a poli sci kid a stats job. Um, actually. Liberal arts has stats, I think, so that doesn't make sense. But whatever. Um, I think that, uh, you know, the degree might not have been exactly what I'm working on now, but, you know, organic chemistry taught me how to think critically, and I'll take it for now. At least that's what I tell myself. <laughs> it, it also taught you how to endure a lot of pain, which uh, that, that helps in a startup, you know, just go at it again and again well, and again. Well, yeah, I mean, maybe I'll just sit up. At, if it's 4 in the morning, I'm thinking at least I'm not sitting in the Krebs cycle right now. <laughs> it's also true. However, the Krebs cycle is going on. Wait, where is the Krebs cycle? Is that or is that planned? Don't put me on the spot like that. You know that I don't remember. Okay, if you don't remember, I definitely don't know. I was gonna ask if it happened in plants or animals, but you know. (laughs) Anyway, Um, so I guess more generally, what other hurdles did you experience and have to overcome during your time as a startup? Yeah. So. I had to make the decision of, is this something that I want to work on for two or three years as a part-time gig on top of my full-time job, or is it time to jump in? And I think that's a really tough decision that every entrepreneur needs to make at some point. It's not going to start out as a full-time job most, I would say like nine times out of ten. Yeah. But at the same time, (laughs) you're going to have to get to that point where, for me, it wasn't working out that I was going to do 50 or 60 hours a week. Uh, force meal and then do another 30 hours at least in the startup mm-hmm. I knew I needed to do more time to keep it going and it was tough to make that call um, learning I think that every decision you make has like a pretty significant consequence mm-hmm. so if you're in a corporate environment a lot of times if something like doesn't go right it probably won't change the entire direction of like an EY yeah. or a JP Morgan yeah it's pretty hard to tank those companies as an individual, yeah, entry level person, yeah. But we can tank our company pretty much any day. But <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, and overcoming just learning about yeah certain areas that maybe you don't have a skill set in, your team doesn't have a skill set in yet. What you should be contracting out, who you should be looking for um, when you need professional advice. I think all of those things have really just been big takeaways and challenges that I had to overcome over the last couple of years. Also just finding resources. Mm-hmm. There's really not one good place to go to. So knowing who to make connections with and how to take that advice and put it to action has been really big. Yeah, I'll, I'll add on to that, especially the specification um, piece, right? So my one of my favorite stories is when they all called me and asked where uh, the 
or told me the emails weren't working, like our, our, our company emails weren't working. And I turned around like I normally would have done at Penn State to call the IT guy and ask why the emails weren't working. And then realized, I I guess that's me because we don't have an IT guy. So <laughs> I guess now I got to figure out why the emails aren't working. Yeah. You know, but, you know, when you only have, you know, we started with, I don't know how many we started with, but three to four to five to six to eight to now six. I don't know how many, you know, but at this point we've got six people and you can't specify anything, right? Like if you have one thing that you do well, that you would have done well in a corporate environment, well, now you have to carry 15 things that they're just yours because nobody can do it and you're the closest person to that subject matter, you know? Yeah. Um, and that's a, that's a tough thing to try and get that breadth of knowledge um, and keep up with that at the same time as trying to do, you know, the individual specific work that you're trying to get done in a day. Yeah, yeah, that's true. I mean, and in that case, 304 prepared you, Dan, because not only could did you have to be it's a charismatic true. co-host, you also had to be the PR chair. It's true. Uh, with with the amount of, uh, I mean, you know it better than better than we do, obviously. I mean, the amount of hats we wear in this in this job is has prepared me well for uh, for being a lifestyle. <laughs> yes, indeed. Aren't you so glad, Andrew, that Dan had a side hustle as a podcast host before he came in your hands? <laughs> It's major key. Getting that entrepreneurship hat on. And... Yeah. Thank goodness. Alright, well, unless there's anything else you want to get into with your experience in State College, I just wanted to, like, kind of reflect on advice, more or less, and, like, general thoughts about your experience as an entrepreneur as we close out. That's okay with you? Yeah, I would definitely say if you're taking on a venture of that magnitude, making sure that you're prepared for the mental exhaustion that kind of comes with it, especially when you're working on something full-time. When you're really that passionate about it, you're not going to work 40 hours a week. You're going to work more like 100. Uh, we actually mean that when we say it, too. We end up doing that at least a lot. Um, and just knowing that you... If you don't define your limits, they're going to define you. I definitely ran into that. Um, actually this past January and February, I basically like didn't take a weekend for two months straight and you can just get down yourself really quick and mm -hmm. not give yourself the time that you need to be productive and that time off and, uh, just reflecting on your work. It's really important for entrepreneurs to know that, yeah, it's not a 40 hour a week job, but you still need to do that in a healthy way. Otherwise you're going to run yourself down and the productivity is going to go to a level that yeah. if you're working 40 hours a week and kind of work out anyways. Um, I think the other thing is just making sure that you don't take advice for anything more than it is. So making sure that you're listening to what people are saying, but not doing everything that you're told to do. Um, really sticking to your guns and making sure that you hear advice, do a little bit of research on it, and then make your own decision for what direction you want to go to next or if you're staying the course is a really important thing because if you have a new idea, most likely everybody's going to have an opinion on it from an experience they had. But if it really is a new thing, you might need to go above and beyond and uh, come to the realization that what you're thinking of is beyond what people have been doing in the past. Dan, um, maybe more specifically, like, what advice would you have given yourself? What would the Dan of now give... It, what advice would the Dan of now give to the Dan that was about to start working in Vimeo? Oh, that's a that's a good question. Um, I think <laughs> I think 
two things. I think one, you really get, I mean, in, in all of life, I want people to do what it is that they like to do. But if you're not going to, like, if you're going to be working a hundred hours a week and you're not going to be like, you're going to be pulling out hours two or three nights a week and not, you know, seeing people outside of what you're doing, like you have to really enjoy what it is. You know what I mean? Like you actually have to get that thrill out of it. And I also think there's a, there's a humility aspect of it too, right? Like, the end of the day, if we need to go Uber or, you know, um, you know, do odd jobs on the side to pay the bills, like you can't, you can't have this mask of like, aha, I'm an entrepreneur. And that means that like, I get to wear puffy Patagonia vests and like, that's it. You know what I mean? Like you have to be able to put, put that, that, you know, humility on a, on a, uh, not think you're above anything either above other people who you're working with, um, whether, whoever they are in, and wherever they are in life, they can always offer you something. Uh, and two, you know, not think too much of yourself that like you're not willing to, you know, miss a paycheck or go out and do odd jobs because you have to keep the lights on kind of thing. Um, I think the me of me, the me two years ago would have been looking at this like, we, you know, we, we had talks two years ago. I remember about like, well, who's going to get paid when we get paid first kind of thing. And like, like how do we, how do we work that out and how do we pay ourselves? And at this point, it's more like, well, you know, how do we make sure this is working and we'll figure that out <laughs> when, we, when we get money, you know, but, but yeah. at the beginning, it's a lot of, you know, I know we were talking about like, I was thinking like, how do I get paid out of this and how do I get, you know, this to work? And now it's much more of like, this is something I'm very passionate about. How do I make sure it works? Mm-hmm. And then that's, that's the primary question in my mind. You know what I mean? Like, what do I need to do to make it work? And you have to have that. Um, you, you can't put yourself on a pedestal when you're trying to build something with a, with a team like this. Yeah. Yeah, no, that, that's good advice. Um, and so I guess, Andrew, going back to what you said earlier about maybe ignoring advice, what's the best advice you ever ignored? <laughs> and so what's a but no, I, I want to be specific with the phrasing. So like some advice or feedback that you ignored that you're like, I'm glad I ignored that. Yeah, so a lot of people have done bar apps in this town and a lot of people have tried this like one-stop shop concept mm-hmm. and i think the entrepreneurship community and local businesses are kind of jaded to it like why are all these things together and something in general that people in entrepreneurship just say is you should find your one thing and just focus on that mm-hmm. we really have a diverse group of services that rely on each other to go together so i'll get people even now that just say hey focus on housing just do housing why do you have this other stuff on there? And earlier in the company, I think it was really just like the vision was not to just focus too much on one thing. And I kind of understood that all of these things will provide one resource that people might use it all the time for bars, but then nowhere to go for apartments or nowhere to go for events, even if that's not their primary use. Um, I pretty much everybody I've ever talked to that has, um, I would say nine out of 10 people who have entrepreneurship experience at first thought were saying, Hey, you're doing way too many things. I don't really like this whole one-stop shop obsession that students Mm -hmm. have been having for the past 10 years. I've seen too many people try and fail, but no one really got to the point where they went all in with it. And Mm -hmm. I'm hearing a lot more of those voices now say, wow, this is a really cool combination of things. How did you think of that? And a lot of times they're the same voices that were saying, you're probably doing too many things at once uh, place. Now they kind of appreciate the sophistication of 
going in for one thing, but then understanding different things about your community that you might not have originally been looking for. So, um, yeah, I definitely think taking every piece of advice with a grain of salt was something we learned there. And for me, that was definitely people saying one stop shop is not going to work. You should do six different applications or just focus on one area as one piece of advice that I, I tried to listen to those voices, see where that was coming from, understand the perspective, but at the same time, I didn't think that was the right route, and it's starting to look like that. Uh, that's true. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. Dan, do you have anything, any advice you ignored that you're like, I'm glad I didn't follow that advice? I wasn't prepared for this question. <laughs> <laughs> so, no, and I'm going to go cut with that, cut that last part out. Um, no, I got pretty good advice, I can't lie. <laughs> Okay. All right. I'll take that for what it means. I've given you some advice before, so take that as a compliment. <laughs> you have given me good advice, yeah. Yeah. All right. So conversely, what is the best piece of advice you received that you did ignore? And you're like, I wish I didn't ignore that. Um, so something you just need to know about me in general. Are you, are you asking Dan or me? Uh, either one of you can answer if either of you have an answer. Uh, well, I was actually just going to say, I am a futurist. Mm -hmm. I basically like the past for me doesn't process through my head that often. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm always kind of like forward looking and I, I definitely don't like hold too many regrets. Um, that being said, I think a uh, piece of advice that I ignored that I wish I would have taken into consideration more, um, probably uh, figuring out a good transition between, um, like how I was going to make money at first. Uh, I took a really big leap from going full-time job to, I'm just going to work on BMIA and figure out like how I'm going to make money later. I think if I would have went into that with a little bit more of a strategy then over Christmas break, I figured out I'd be an Uber driver and I'm going to donate my, uh, plasma. Yeah. Uh, that probably would have been good. That definitely ran into a bunch of different, um, kind of crazy situations, but yeah, I think knowing like a financial plan before you take your next step there is really important where I think on that step, I really did. I just kind of knew it was time. And then I tried to figure out the finance stuff later. And that probably would have been a little less stressful had mm -hmm. I said like, Oh, I'm gonna get this part-time job, which will allow me to work while I'm there and, uh, go about it that way. Yeah. Okay. Maybe following up on that, does being a futurist, do you think that's a positive trait to have as an entrepreneur, like not being bogged down by the past and just being able to move forward with whatever your current project is on? Yeah, so I think it's really important to have a diverse group of strengths, and we actually did a strengths finder session with Katie McMurray and Brad. Is that Brad's last name? It, they're both in Thirst Consulting. Thrust Consulting. To answer your question, I think it's really important that you have somebody who's a futurist on the team. I think a lot of times that ends up being the founder because they have this vision for what they want done. Yeah. At the same time, to have a lot of people who are good at executing on that vision and remember the past and are able to make some of those corrections, I think it's really important. Okay. I think you need to have a combination of those strengths for me personally, I I definitely enjoy not being bogged down by it because 
if you have if you don't have thick skin and you go into entrepreneurship, the failures are going to tank you at some point. It's going to yeah. be too much. At the same time, I definitely need to check my blind spots and make sure I have people who are holding me accountable. So um, I'll have times where like, I'm like, ah, what did we do for these past three months? Like, what have yeah. we been doing? And I won't like give myself credit. Mm-hmm. I think that's actually a really good piece of advice for entrepreneurs too, especially if they are very futuristic. Um, writing things down, being organized, and giving yourself credit for what you did because a lot of times it's not going to come out in a specific product. You're not going to be able to look back and say, like, I have this today because I did that. Mm-hmm. A lot of times it's, I did that thing. We totally failed, but I learned this piece of information. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times I don't look back and give myself that credit. And I think that's a huge weakness that um, Dan's really good at keeping me accountable with that and having the rest of the team there to um, – make sure I have a different lens when I'm looking back and not just saying like, Oh, the past like didn't happen. Nothing. Mm-hmm. All right. Danny boy, any advice you ignored where you're like, ah, I should have taken that. Should have listened. Yeah. I was trying to figure this out and it's funny because we all have ignored it and then we all tell it to each other and then we all agree and then we all ignore it. And I'm the biggest one of this and it's advice that my mom gave me and everybody else gave me, which is just goddamn take care of yourself. Mm-hmm. Like, Especially when you're like you are a business, right? Like yours, you being mm-hmm. aware and awake and not making mistakes, like could tank the business. Mm-hmm. Not taking care of yourself is the stupidest thing in the entire world, right? Mm-hmm. So, like, I'll I'll use an example of like the website was down for like four days, and I stayed up for four, three and a half days basically. I took a few naps in between trying to fix it. Whereas if I had been smart, I would have gone to bed and slept for six or seven hours and woken up and then kept working on it. You know what I mean? Because mm-hmm. it, at some point you're ground down, you haven't been to the gym, you haven't like taken a second to breathe or read a book or enjoy yourself, you know, mm-hmm. because as Andrew said at the beginning, if you're working like a hundred or 110 hours a week, something like that, it's difficult to at some point say, all right, I'm done. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Especially when, if something isn't working and you're the only one who can fix it, you have this 24-7, I need to be on call. We all have this 24-7, I need to be on call to fix anything. And it's difficult to take, like, a few hours and say, like, from now on, like, I, you know, if you need anything, you know, knock down my door. But other than that, I'm going to go read or I'm going to go listen to some music or I'm going to go, you know, actually sleep. Um, so take care of yourself. Is, is it harder since you guys live at your office? Like, are, are you working out of your apartment or is it, so, like, do you have so, actual so office we, space? We, for for the listeners at home, we have been working out of our apartment for the past like year and a half. Mm-hmm. Uh, we got a when our newest roommate moved in, we decided to get a apartment next to us, so we live in this apartment and work in that apartment. Oh, that's terrible. Um, which is hilarious, uh, but that's because we have too many people now to to constantly be in that space. I think I'll speak for myself and say that I speak for all of us and say that was a huge help to move out of the apartment. Um, it allows for this to be our place of like, okay. We could kind of we could talk about high level stuff, but like this is where I sleep and this is where I make food and that's really what I'm gonna do when I'm here since we spend so much time in that office kind of thing, or in the office. Uh, and I think that if you don't have that, I mean that's something we learned or I learned freshman year, right? I was working in my dorm room all the time, and because I was working in my dorm room, then I couldn't sleep in my dorm room because there was no distinction from it. And mm-hmm. I think you know even if you don't have the resources to, you know, have an office, we didn't for two years. It's important to you know, go to open air or something like that and work from there. So you have some sort of break between, you know, your off time and your on time. Mm-hmm. 
Um, so speaking of off-time and on-time, going off of that, I guess, like, how do both of you unplug or take time off, like, with the limited number of hours that you have that are not working or sleeping, like, what do you do to relax yourself and keep yourself in a state that's able to perform for such a long amount of time? To be honest, in the last two years, it was a lot of crashing and burning and realizing, ah, I shouldn't do that. <laughs> um, but something I do right now is um, I wake up every morning at 6 o'clock and walk the dog, and then I have an hour of basically just personal time, mm-hmm. which is just like doing the dishes, making sure everything's clean around the house, reading, and just taking some time for meditation and getting in the right mindset. I, I usually work out at lunch. It's something I need to do a little bit more often because I have it the last month. Um, <laughs> but that catches up with you pretty quick. Yeah. And then trying to have an end time. Um, so saying, like, I work till 6. After 6, like, it's my choice to be here. But, like, I'm not obligated to be here. And I should I should take that opportunity to leave unless I have to be here. Mm-hmm. And being in that mindset is really helpful. Um like we were saying earlier, a lot of people have this, like, I go to work at 9, I leave at 5. Uh, we can't have that. <laughs> Sometimes we'll be having dinner and something will come up that we immediately need to do. Um, I think being respectful of that, though, as well, is something that we are trying to practice. That um, I don't have a really good idea at 2 a.m. anymore and wake Dan up knowing that he hasn't had sleep. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, just staying active, going to the gym, making sure that you're scheduling literally personal time just to schedule um, your, like, routine or day out. I also take time every week to say, like, what are my goals this week? Do I accomplish them? Um, and what am, what am I going to do this week to, like, fit in those different things? Uh, I, again, on top of that, I would definitely say taking time out to, like, meditate, walk the dog, do something where you, like, completely check out. That can even be, like, TV read a book, and then your mind can, like, have a little bit of time to relax before you go back into it. Mm. Um, that definitely keeps you ready for the marathon, which is also a sprint of entrepreneurship. Yeah, I would also add detecting your room um, so that, like, you're, you know, I, I'll, I'll get emails when I open my phone, but if somebody needs to reach me between, like, midnight and 4 a.m., they can knock on my door. Um we, I, I work nights and I work some nights and my, our other roommate works all nights. Um, so for us, it's been also, you know, making sure that if you worked until six or seven in the morning, you don't just gear up like it's another normal day, right? You take either an afternoon or a morning off to go sleep. And then, uh, I switch back to using clock radio because I just don't want to use my phone anywhere yeah. in my bed, anything like that. Um, reading, listening to some music before I get some sleep as opposed to, uh, Stay on my phone. Yeah. Yeah, definitely not looking at a glowing screen right before you go to bed is it's a huge aid in going to bed quickly. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I guess one last question for you. Well, one last follow-up on that, Andrew, which is uh, yeah. especially as the person that's like the founder and the leader of this group, do you hold yourself responsible for making sure that you are both respecting others needs to like take time off and like enforcing it in some way. Like if you see an employee that's just wearing themselves out, <laughs> maybe you haven't been doing this all along, but like, has this been something you become more cognizant of as you've like realized you yourself just can't be going all the time. Like you are 
making sure your other employees are also taking care of themselves? Yeah, so I'm in the thick of that uh, right now, to be totally honest, because, again, like, January and February, for me, I was definitely, like, working myself on the ground. I think, like, founders have a really tough balance because they need to realize, at least in the beginning, for a long time of it, no one's going to care as much as you do. So, especially when it's just an idea, you have this vision that you want to execute on um, 80 hours a week. Someone's not going to just pick up that idea after you had it for five minutes and put that same amount of effort into it. Um, but you also come with a contradiction to that, which is at some point you need to realize that you need to be the face of the company, need to set a good example for being healthy, probably need to have meetings with uh, either investors or sales meetings that you need to be at your best. Mm-hmm. And you're really setting that tone. So you need to come to the conclusion that I don't need to necessarily outwork everybody in terms of my time. I don't need to be the first one there and the last one out, which I think is a really old school thought. Because if you're not treating that as a marathon and making sure you're taking care of yourself, you're not going to be the most productive member of the team. And that's really where it matters more than it does how many hours are you in the office. Yeah. Um, transferring that over to uh, the rest of the team um, it's actually something that we're trying to do a little bit more of. So Dan and Tom, our other developer, are basically like staying up all night. One of the things that we're trying to do, and we talk about this on like different one-on-ones and things like that, but I'm taking it as one of my responsibilities to basically say, okay, Dan worked five hours before everybody else started today. Um, if everybody else wraps up at six or seven, I need to kick Dan out at like one or two and say like, hey, go take a nap. Um, we're also all... Uh, at part partners in the company. So we really hold each other accountable for a lot of different things. Mm-hmm. Um, just being able to say like, hey man, you need to go sleep and getting that honest feedback from somebody who you spend so much time with is something that's very important for all of us to make sure that we're not running ourselves down. Um, but yeah, I definitely, not only like their personal uh, health and safety, but uh, I need to be thinking that at pretty much all times that every decision that I do could affect um, their mental health, their uh, state of mind with the company and their productivity and overall general happiness. Mm-hmm. Um, so making sure that everybody is still so passionate about that mission that they're willing to put in that extra effort, but also making sure that um, everybody in the company is trying to be the best that they can be in five years and isn't trying to sacrifice um, that end goal because they want to get to some kind of immediate um milestone that we have as a company and making sure that we're all looking out for each other's health. Okay. What is the most rewarding aspect of having Dan Lorden as a roommate? <laughs> um, I would say the most rewarding aspect of having Dan Lorden as a roommate is his ability to kind of bring positivity to every conversation. And I think even when I've been like super frustrated Dan has a really good way of taking whatever information was um, talked about in that conversation or whatever like personal frustrations there are and actually making that change going forward so it doesn't end up being something where um, I never feel like I need to be like passive aggressive about anything. I can just kind of like come to Dan and be like, hey man, um, you need to do your dishes. (laughs) Is that all it takes? Uh, Dan will actually do his dishes. Um, what'd you say what'd you say Shay? I said is that all it takes gosh I should have I should have tried that a while ago <laughs> yeah 
Yeah, no, I mean, we just, we've had a lot of um, just, like, I think being very genuine with, like, things that are bothering us or anything like that. Dan's mm-hmm. really good with uh, taking that advice in. And, again, like, being really positive, not holding grudges. And um, I feel like each new day, even if, like, yesterday wasn't a great day or um, we got in some kind of fight because we were playing basketball and getting too serious about it, Dan's going to wake up the next morning and be like, hey, man, how you doing? Um, and that positivity positivity definitely helps out. I think it's a really good aspect of having him as a roommate. Thanks, bro. Hey, man. Appreciate it. I couldn't agree See? more. What did you say? I said I couldn't agree more. Oh, guys, come on. Yeah. Too much. All right, well, I have exhausted my list of questions, and Andrew, I thank you so much for your time. Dan, unless you have anything else to add, I think we can just wrap up. Do you remember how we wrap up podcasts, Dan? Uh, I do. Yeah? Yeah. So this is uh, Dan Lorden signing off. Oh, no, no. Oh, oh, damn, we were going to plug social media. See, this is this is why you always get surprised every time I ask you to do this. Oh, my God. I don't remember how we sign off. Follow 304 uh, on Twitter and email us at 304 at gmail.com. Spelled out 304 at gmail.com as we do this segment of uh, interviewing um, uh, young alumni who tried to make an impact or tried or are trying to make an impact to their college town after they graduated. Uh, If you have any ideas, let us know uh, or text us both. Yeah, um, and if the 304 at gmail.com doesn't work all spelled out, try the numbers. One of them works. <laughs> I'll detect. <laughs> uh, 304 pod, one of them. Um, yeah, so Dan, now back to your initial <laughs> closing. So from the East Coast State College, this is Dan Lord signing off. Andrew Strauss signing off. <laughs> Thank you, Andrew, for being here. And from the West Coast, this is Seamus O'Hara, always reminding you especially in the case of a startup, to stay hungry and stay foolish. Thank you.